0: Welcome to spring. (laughs) Welcome back. Last week we got to celebrate Easter and it was great. We got to celebrate it over two campuses and churches across the city and country and world, celebrated the resurrection of our Savior. We celebrated his life, his death, and the fact that he broke death and sin, that he conquered it once and for all. And in reality, our stories begin with the resurrection because that is where our life changes. And so we are going to continue with the story of us for a couple of weeks because we want to know how do we live with this reality of the resurrection? How do we live as a follower of Jesus in this world? And so we're going to continue for two weeks with the story of us continued and as we think about what it means to follow Jesus, I want to share with you some statistics that came out recently. These statistics are from the Barna Group. If you don't know about the Barna Group, they're a fairly reputable company. They study religious trends, spiritual trends, trends going on in the church and Christianity. And for years, they have put out really good data about what is going on in the church. And then this recent study came out that they had asked churchgoers a question. This isn't just Americans. This just isn't random people. They asked people who go to church this question, have you heard of the Great Commission? Have you heard of the Great Commission? And this is what they found. 51% of churchgoers responded that they had never heard about the Great Commission. That's a lot. 25% responded this way. I've heard of the Great Commission. I'm, I'm not very familiar with what it is or where it's located or what it's calling me to do, but I've, I've heard those words used before. 17% responded, yes, I, I know the Great Commission. I've heard it. I know it. I know how to find it. I know, I know what it's asking of me. And then there's 6%, and these are my favorite 6%, because they responded to a yes or no question with, I'm not sure. Now, I don't know where you find yourself in this graph today. I don't know if you walk in and go, yeah, I've never heard of the Great Commission. I don't know if you're like, yes, I can, I can show you. I have it underlined in my Bible already. But here's what we can do. We can walk through it really quick so that we can all leave in the yes, Right? So we're going to talk about it. It's in the book of Matthew, if you want to turn there. It's in Matthew chapter 28. Now, we're not going to spend all of our time in Matthew, but I think it's important that we have this Great Commission in mind, and it's going to shape what we do this morning. The Great Commission is the last verses of Matthew's gospel about who Jesus is. And in verse 16 and 17 of chapter, 20, uh, chapter 28, he has gotten his disciples on a mountain and they're worshiping him and there's still some, some doubt going on as to what this new reality is going to look like. And the Great Commission technically begins in verse 19, but I like to start in verse 18 because it, I believe it gives us the why. Why do we need to listen to this? Well, Jesus is in front of his disciples and. He is their superhero. He is the one who has risen from the grave. He is their Messiah, the one that they have been following. And he stands before them and he says, I need to let you know all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. You know, if someone says that phrase, don't you kind of want to know what's coming next? It's someone who says, I have authority. I am the one who is going to send you out. I am the one you need to listen to. And they had Jesus' attention. And in verse 19, he begins to tell them what their commission is going to be. He starts with the word go. 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 We are together, we are up here on a mountain, but we are going to break up. We are going to scatter, and you are going to depart from me and go into places in this world, and you are going to take me with you. And that word go has this idea of as you go. As you are moving and doing life, you are going to take this with you, and you are gonna go therefore, and you're gonna make disciples. This was the central tenet of the church then. This is the central tenet of the church now. We are called to make disciples. A disciple is someone who looks like someone else, who follows someone else. We are not called to make disciples of us. We are called to make disciples of Jesus. A couple weeks ago in small group leader training, David Hinkle was, was talking to our small group leaders about what it means to make a disciple, and he asked them that question. He goes, how do you know when a disciple has been made And their response was music to his ears. He said, you know a disciple has been made when they make another disciple. It is something that is passed on and passed on and passed on. And we are gonna go out from here and we are gonna make disciples and we are gonna baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we take baptism very seriously here. It's a celebration of what Jesus has done in the life of a disciple. And we do it regularly. And we do it with this Trinitarian formula because it's important. It's what we've been called to do. And then he says this to close. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. When we get together, this is the purpose of us coming coming together. We talk about what it means to follow Jesus so that we can look more like him. And each and every day as we go out, we look more like him. And we bring someone else in and we help that man or that woman look more like Jesus. Because we have been called to do this. And he ends with encouragement. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You will not be alone in this commission. These are your walking papers. This is your task. This is what you're going to go do. But you don't have to do it alone. And we will find that that out why in our text. So why do we not do this? Why are we not constantly going out and making disciples and baptizing them and teaching them? Why is this not something we do with every day of our lives? Well, I want to submit to you, I believe we build counterfeit kingdoms and i want to show you this in the book of acts chapter one if you'll flip over with me just a few pages you go matthew mark luke john and then acts we're going to be in acts 1 6 through 11 for the rest of the morning and in acts chapter 1 we have luke's account of what happens after jesus he wrote the gospel of luke as this is who jesus is and this is what he did and then acts is really the story of us It's the story of the beginning of this Christianity movement, this church movement, and how it continued to spread. And here you have the disciples gathering in verse 6. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, and they asked him this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? a very particular question. Now, it's hard to put ourselves exactly in their minds to know what they were asking. They could have been asking a number of different things, but this is what they asked him. Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? This might have been a very spiritual request. They might have been very familiar with the teachings of Samuel, and they knew that there would always be a Davidic king who would sit on the Davidic throne. They read the prophets and how a king was coming to reign And to set up his kingdom forevermore. And they might have wanted that reality to come and that that the kingdom would be set up on earth as it was in heaven, but they also lived under Roman rule. There was a chance that they were tired of Roman oppression that there was a chance that they were tired of, of having to be slaves to the Romans and they wanted him to come and to make Israel great again, that he wanted them to come and set up Israel's kingdom on earth so they weren't under anymore, that they would be over. They were interested, Lord, is this the time? Are you going to do it now? Or are you going to set up your kingdom? We know that they had argued about their place. This is what we do. We build kingdoms. You see, Rome was not the first kingdom. Rome came after Greece, which came after Medo-Persia, which came after Babylon, which came after Assyria. And Rome was not the last kingdom. There were kingdoms that came after it. Eventually, we had the British Empire. The British Empire would be vast, and it came from this tiny island. And it would spread to Africa and to Asia and across Europe and across the Atlantic And then we had 13 original colonies and they started small. And through manifest destiny we headed west until we had this great empire that we now live in. You say, yeah, but we don't build those kind of kingdoms anymore. We don't worry about land and territories. And No, we just build our own little kingdoms. We build our financial kingdoms that we don't want anyone to touch. We build the kingdom of our families and our corporations and our companies and our academics. We build these little kingdoms and we spend so much time and energy trying to make sure that they flourish. And so my question for you this morning is simple. What kingdom are you building? If you were gonna take a little space there on your notes underneath that question, would you consider writing down what kingdom you spend the most time building? What gets your best energy, your best time, your best talent, your best treasure? What gets your best resources? What do you put most of you into to make sure it's going to build and flourish? Because I would submit to you that that is the kingdom that you spend most time building. Now, no one is going to see what's on your sheet unless you show it to them. I'm never going to see it, and you don't have to turn it in. This isn't for anyone else to see, it's just a chance for you to be honest. What gets the most of me? What kingdom am I building? What is it that I truly want? Not, what do I think I want? Or what do I think I should say in church that I want? What do I actually want? What do the habits in my life tell me about what I do? The disciples asked the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he began to ask them in verse 7. Verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He basically told them, that's none of your business. You don't need to know the times. You don't need to know the seasons. You don't need to know the dates. What you need to know is that it's the Father's authority and his kingdom will come. It will be built. It will come and it will flourish, but you don't need to know the particulars. You don't need to have all the information before you act but he tells them what they do need and what they will receive in verse 8 he says but you you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you he looked at this group of 11 men and he said you will receive power well if they need to receive power what does that mean that they don't have right now power They don't have the strength they need. They don't have the gifting they need. They don't have any of the things that they need to do what he's going to give them to do. Because he hasn't given it to them yet. He says, you will receive power. Now their experience is much different than ours. See, they're living in Acts chapter 1 right now. And we know in Acts chapter 2 that the Spirit descends into this world. And that these disciples begin to speak and to teach in tongues that are not their own. And they begin to communicate to people who need to hear the gospel. And lives begin to be transformed. And the church begins to grow. And community is had. And things begin to change rapidly because the power of the Spirit has come down and has fallen fresh in the world. But that's not our experience. We do not sit here and await some future day where we will receive power. No, that same spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that raises us from the dead. It causes us to be able to see who Jesus is so that we may trust in him and believe in him. And that same spirit indwells us so that we have the power to live in the ways that he has called us to live. So my question for you this morning is whose spirit Whose power are you relying on? When you go out into the world and you seek to build his kingdom, are you relying on his power that only he can provide? Or are you trying to go out in your own ways to do things in your own time, in your own way, to try to make a contribution? Because he has given us a very simple thing this morning. He says, "Will you, you will receive power. And what do we do when we receive that power? power. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. When you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. He stands in front of these these men, and he says, you're going to go out, and you're going to build great things, and build great buildings, and you're going to come up with huge programs, and it's going to be bright and flashy, and he doesn't say any of that. The only thing he says is you're going to receive this power and you're going to go be my witnesses. What's a witness? When you think about a courtroom scene, and you have a lawyer who calls someone up and they put them on the stand and they ask them questions. They say, what did you see? What did you hear? Where were you on this evening? And the witness gets in the stand and says some grandiose story and flowery language about this great thing that they made up. no it's not what a witness does a witness gets on the stand and they say yeah this is what I saw this is what I heard this is what I know we don't need bible decrees and flashy stories we don't need powerpoint presentations and gigantic programs no we need our story and we need a person in front of us that we can tell about what we have seen and heard this is what we've been called to We have been called to go out in the power that he provides to tell people what we have seen and heard. And I want to put before you this morning that I believe that one of the reasons why we don't feel the power of the Holy Spirit in our life is because we don't go out and witness to what we see. And when we will step out and say, you know what, I might be shy you know what, I, might, I not, might not feel very courageous right now, but I know this Jesus, and I have seen what he has done, and I'm going to tell this person about him, that you will have a power that comes not of your own, that will be with you and help you witness to what you've seen and heard. And so now that we know that we have his power, that we are going to be his witnesses, Who in your life needs to be told of what you have seen and heard? We talk about you and two around here all the time. I don't care if it's one. I don't care if it's two. I don't care if it's four. But who is someone in your life that you can tell your story to? It can be 30 seconds. It could be some encouragement when someone is down or when things aren't going the way and you have a reason to tell them about the hope that you have in Jesus. It might be someone in your family or in your workplace. It might be someone across the street or on your sports team. But who can you tell? And he finishes this sentence with this. You will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the where. This is where you're going to go and do this. He starts with Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a known city. Jerusalem was the city of David. It was the city where Jesus was crucified and rose again. It was the beginning of the Jerusalem church, the most influential church at the beginning of this Christian mo- movement. They knew this city. And he said, you're going to start in this city, and you are going to go out, and you are going to be my witnesses in my power. But you're not going to stop in Jerusalem You see, Jerusalem is there in the center, and you have all these roads that lead out of it. It was a very popular city, but Jerusalem is found in Judea. And you're going to go out from Jerusalem, and you're going to go into Judea as you go. As you go into the markets, as you go into the synagogues, as you go into the homes, as you go into the places of business, you are going to take my message and be my witnesses in my power. But it didn't stop with Judea. He said Judea and Samaria. You see, Samaria is that place way up north. Now, I'm convinced when the disciples heard Samaria, they didn't flip out. You see, they had been with Jesus when he had talked to the woman at the well, when he had compassion on her and when he gets social norms and ministered to her and shared with her about living water that she would not need any thirst ever again he was with his disciples when a Pharisee was challenging him about what was the greatest commandment. And he responded by telling the story of the good Samaritan. Where the Samaritan was the one in the story who loved the hurting man. It wasn't the priest or the Levi. It was the Samaritan, the one who Jesus said, you need to go and love like him. You see, I think the disciples were used to Jesus flipping things upside down on them. And so they heard him saying, go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and they were ready for this. But did you know, this probably wasn't going to preach. As they went into Jerusalem, as they went into Judea, and they begin to say, hey, we got to go from here. We got to go on this trail. We got to hit Samaria. People have said, you just lost me. I don't want to go up to those people they don't talk like me. They don't think like me. They don't act like me. I don't want to have anything to do with them. And Jesus says, I don't care. You are my witnesses, and you're going to go to the places that I command you to go because you're going to go in my power. And that might mean that someday you have to take a trip to Missouri. said, <laughs> so you're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And he says, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. Now, I have no idea what they thought of when they heard the words ends of the earth. The farthest place that we have, I think, in Scripture recorded is Spain. Paul wanted to get to Spain. Aren't you glad that the gospel didn't stop in Spain? It kept going. I don't know what they heard when they heard Ends of the Earth, but what they knew is that they had to keep going. There was going to be no barrier, and somewhere to go north, and somewhere to go south, and east, and west, and we're going to take this message of who Jesus is and what he did to every single person that we meet. And it kept on going, and we have no excuse. You see, I grew up with a little globe that was in my room, right? I used to try to spin it like a basketball. And I could see the known world. And then as we got a little bit older, you could go online and you had these little smartphones and you could pull up maps and you could see any location in the world. There is no excuse for us not to go to the ends of the earth because it is known for us. And we can pull up a quick internet search and we can find out where in this world people have not heard yet these unreached groups. We can go to these places. We have more technology and more resources than any generation in human history. And Jesus says, you're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So what about for us? Jerusalem is our Topeka. This is the place that we know. This is the place that a lot of us reside. This is the place that we call home and love. And for some of you, the greatest impact that you will have on the kingdom of God will happen in this city. It might happen in your own home. You might have an unbelieving spouse or an unbelieving child. You might have an aging parent who lives with you who hasn't heard the hope of Christ yet. And you might make an eternal impact in building the kingdom in your own home. For some of you, that job that you're dreading going to on Monday, that might be the place that God has put you there. So for this time and at this place, you may be a light in the dark world. We have people who have moved across our city into different regions because it's about all of Topeka, not just the places we want to call home, because this entire city needs to know about who Jesus is. And then for some, we have to leave our city and go into our state. And sometimes we travel to places. We travel to Wichita and we travel to Chicago and we travel to New York and and Los Angeles and all over this world and we get to take him with us wherever we go. And then some people in our church leave our building and our state. They leave our country and they go across the world. And they go to China and the Netherlands and Japan. And they go to places that you and I may never see. And so my question for you this morning is, where will you go? Where will you go? Where will you go in Topeka? Where will you make a difference being a witness in his power? Where will you go in our Judea and our Samaria? Where will you go in the United States? Will you take him with you? And will you go to the ends of the earth? Maybe for some of you that's taking a short-term trip and putting your feet in and testing out the waters. Maybe you go on a trip to Barnabas with our youth or you go to the DR and serve. Maybe you take a living water trip. Maybe you go visit some of our missionaries who are going all across this world. Maybe you support them financially if you can't go In person, we can all support them in prayer. And maybe, just maybe, God has put something deep within your soul that will not go away and will not rest. And maybe He is calling you to go. Where will you go? Luke concludes this portion of Acts with 9 through 11. And he says this. This is the ascension. And Jesus goes up to the Father and he is in heaven and he is preparing a place for us and he is going to come again. And next week we are going to talk about living in light of his return but in this meantime that we find ourselves in, this is our story. We get to go out in his power and be his witnesses wherever we go. And this is what the disciples did. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes, and they begin to preach, and they begin to teach, and they begin to huddle in community, and then they begin to go out, and miracles start happening, and the church begins to grow. And then persecution begins to wreak havoc on the church. People start being whipped and thrown in chains. People are going to prison, and people are being executed. But you know what doesn't stop? The church. The kingdom keeps growing. The words of Matthew 16 come to life. When Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you are my rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it you were sitting in a church of jesus christ in 2018 because the gospel did not stop the kingdom has still been built it will keep going you know what is not here anymore rome it's gone the great british empire that no one had ever seen before that's gone too Your company that we spend so much time trying to keep afloat, it might not be here in a hundred years, and I'm pretty sure my wealth won't be either. But the kingdom of Jesus Christ will never fade away, and there's no force in this world that can stop it. And so Jesus beckons you. He beckons you with the great commission. Go therefore into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that is commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. But even in its much simpler version in Acts, you will receive my power. You don't have to do this in your own strength. You will have my power of the Holy Spirit in you, and you will just be my witnesses. You will tell people of what you have seen and what you have heard wherever it is that I sent you. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story. And Father, it is true. You have left us here in this earth in this meantime, but you have left us with a purpose And we have a purpose that we get to fulfill. We have a mission we get to join. We have a kingdom that we get to build. Father, I pray that we would use our greatest resources, that we would use our greatest effort to build the greatest kingdom that will never have an end. And until your son comes again, may we faithfully live for him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to shift now into a time of communion. In communion, the Lord's Supper is a meal that Jesus instituted. And he said that we are going to do this in remembrance of him until he comes again. And so we take the bread and we take the juice. And it symbolizes his body that was broken for us and his blood that was poured out for us. Because it was by those means that we had been forgiven. And as we have been forgiven, we have the opportunity to live for him and build his kingdom. And so as the elements are passed out, we we would ask that you would hold those together so that we can take those together as a family. And as you hold them, contemplate on this. Contemplate on the kingdom that you are building and ask Jesus to align your heart to his call and his mission. If you are here this morning and this is, not a story that you recognize, you haven't made a decision for Jesus yet to to follow him with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. We ask that you just let it go. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to think twice about it, but it is our prayer for you that you would come to know this Jesus who gave it all for you. Ushers, would you please come forward to distribute the elements?
1: How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away, as wounds which mother the chosen one. Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection, why should
0: in 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, until that day where your son comes again, may we proclaim his life and his death and his resurrection. Father, may that be the only boast, the only shout that we have, is Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. And may we tell that story, may we be witnesses of that story and share them with people who need to see and hear. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Fellowship family, it is great to see you celebrating the risen Savior again. We had an awesome celebration last week with Easter, and I'm so glad that you're back to continue.